0: Hey podcast community, it's Eric, and I've got something exciting for all you online entrepreneurs out there. If you're looking to take your e-commerce store to the next level, you need to check out Aurora Repricer. With Aura, you can effortlessly reprice your Amazon inventory automatically. Ready to elevate your Amazon business? Head over to foxcitiesmm.com Aura, that's A-U-R-A, to get started today. You're listening to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem, your bi-weekly dose of true crime history in a small, rural community of Wisconsin. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. And Gavin, we're again back. Yep. And now, I believe, we're... Jumping from Oshkosh and heading over to Green Bay. Do I remember that correctly? You do remember that correctly. See? Wow. We just, we just do this too much. Then yeah. I just I'm keep... actually, I'm
1: really impressed. And this is, uh, this is the last one that I have fully written out, which doesn't mean there aren't more coming. <laughs> just, it just means if you were like... Hey, can you have one ready tomorrow? I'd be like, yeah, Maybe not. But by the time we do it again, I'll probably have another one.
0: And since we are pivoting over to Green Bay, I believe in the past you had said, so if you want to talk about it a little bit, aren't these pulled from a book or something from Green Bay?
1: They are. I'm going to goof up this name. But it's something like town Cold Cases or something like that. Author is... Mike Netzker or Mike konetsker who is a police officer or was a police officer I think he still is in Green Bay
0: so, oh very cool yeah well Mike if you listen to this podcast we'd love to interview you about all your yeah. fun stories you yeah, wrote that'd about be cool. in your book
1: yeah I mean sorry if I if I butchered that title because working from memory. it's it's <laughs> it's odd because it's title town cold cases something like it's it's more words thrown together in than it needs to be. Is
0: it is it a pretty prevalent, easy book to get your hands on? I, I assume if he's possibly still a police officer, that's a pretty recent book.
1: It's actually not that recent. This book is late nineties, early two
0: thousands. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's at least it's not like sixties or no, something. No, no, so, no, 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 so, no, no. I yeah. mean, it's,
1: it's not like it's not recent but it's not super old Old either either. yeah i mean i was able to pick up a copy easy enough
0: all right well what are we talking about today
1: so we're in green bay and two things here one this is going to be a sequel to an earlier
0: episode really yes and two it's a bank robbery story nice yeah so is it a sequel to our uh to our Bank of Kakana story? No. No. Do we have another bank robbery? No.
1: Okay. No. And I'm gonna I'm gonna fight to keep this from becoming the bank robbery podcast. Bun- <laughs> I feel like it's that's gonna happen sooner or later, but I'm gonna fight it for now. <clears throat> so it will not because uh, I have so many bank robbery stories. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna do that. Until we've really exhausted the Fox City city stuff. No, so remember, not too long ago, I mean, this is the last few episodes, we had an episode where a man was told to leave money in a box. Yeah, okay. And then officers showed up and things were not very well Well, communicated and they ended up shooting each other.
0: As I recall, yes, the police officers shot each other and... And then in, on another side of the story, we had a sh- police officer walking around without his uniform on, patrolling. Yes, yes. Just all sorts of confusion. Yes. This is a sequel to that.
1: Okay. You'll see why. <laughs> it's not. It's not a direct sequel. It doesn't relate to that case. But a but character
0: from that case yes, is going to show up. You maybe. will
1: see the connection here. All right. So we're back uh, in 1931. Today we're talking about the Southside State Bank, which no longer exists, but it was uh, at 710 South Broadway in Green Bay. Anyone familiar with Green Bay can picture where that would have been. It's July 30th, 1931. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. Several men with guns enter the bank. They ordered the assistant cashier, Frank Slopinski, to open the vault. Once he did, they ordered him to lie on the floor. The vault only had $7,000 in cash, which isn't terrible, but isn't great. There was no gold or securities in the vault. The men asked for more, and Slopinski said that only the head cashier had the key to the other vault. The men were angry, so they beat him breaking his nose and his cheekbones, cutting his face, and deviating his septum. So they hit him pretty good. Other employees were hit when they failed to access the rest of the money as well. One customer walked in during the incident unaware of what was going on and ordered to the ground at gunpoint. No one inside the bank was able to call the police, but luckily the commercial printing office across the street saw what was happening and they called it in. Four officers headed there immediately. And this is, this is this where is the overlap kind of yep. begins. Detective Gus Deloy, who was the man who took all that buckshot in the face and chest in the previous story. Oh,
0: my God. He still stayed a cop after all that?
1: Yes. Wow. Okay. Detective Martin Burke, who was his partner, Chief Thomas Haley, and Officer Elmer DeNamer. I may be saying Denamer, Denamer. I don't know. Either way. As I said, Deloitte had previously come up in the Kennard extortion case where he took 177 pieces of buckshot.
0: That is just insane. Yeah. I mean, I think you just chose this story so you could say that again just to blow all our minds once again. And he's still alive and still chooses to be a cop. It was just it was just. Unbelievable Not, to me. I
1: didn't do it intentionally. This comes out <laughs> of the same book. That's, oh, so that's, that's...
0: So that's why. The police parked in front of
1: the bank, believing that the robbery was already over. Because normally, that's how they work. By the time the police would get there, the robbers would be gone, because they don't stay very long. Mm-hmm. But in fact, it was still in progress. And <laughs> they parked right next to the getaway car. Machine gun bullets flew out of the bank, smashing the police car's windows. Deloy was hit in the arm and the forehead, and a piece of
0: shrapnel entered his left eye. Now, this is the guy that took all the buckshot that yes. Oh, my God. Poor guy. Chief Hawley took
1: some glass to the chest. Denamer was hit in the cheek by shards of glass, but it wasn't enough to slow him down. He returned fire with his thirty eight and managed to hit one of the robbers in his right shoulder. The robber ran north on Broadway, leaving a trail of blood. All of the robbers managed to escape, but many eyewitnesses saw them. One robber was described by multiple people as short, maybe five foot tall, which is pretty short, mm-hmm. with a medium build and dark Italian complexion. An officer was sent to Detective Deloy's home. It hadn't been that long since the family had been told that Gus was injured and possibly dead, and now they had to hear it again. <laughs> Denamer rode with Deloy. We shouldn't to laugh because yeah. that isn't funny, yeah. but. <laughs> it's, it's not it's not funny. It's the situ, the situation is funny. What happened to him is not funny. Denamer rode with Deloitte to St. Mary's Hospital. Deloy was in and out of consciousness, his left eye repeatedly swelling oh with my blood. Oh God. Chief Haley, Chief Holly, whatever. Uh, drove himself to St. Vincent's Hospital to have his chest looked at. Pieces of glass were stuck in odd places, but he'd be fine. This left Martin Burke in charge of the bank. Every remaining officer was called, meaning a total of about 15 men were soon at the bank. Descriptions of the bank robbers were sent out over WHBY radio. Ooh. Yes. Which, I'll stop there for a second, because that jumped out at me when I read this. I was like WHBY. <laughs> and sure enough, WHBY like existed almost a hundred years ago. And I didn't know this, but originally they were a Green Bay station. They didn't nope. they didn't move to Appleton until later.
0: Interesting. Yeah.
1: I thought that was pretty neat. It's like WHBY, really. Hmm. Okay. And keep in mind, like, this is this is nineteen thirty one. There's not many radio stations. Radio is still relatively new. Ooh. You don't turn on your car radio and listen to music a whole lot. You can, I guess. I don't even know. If, maybe maybe cars didn't have radios. Mm-hmm. Maybe just houses had radios. Like, there weren't a lot of stations, but WHBY was there. The scene was contaminated with people walking through bloodstains and kicking the empty shells around. <laughs> the building was dusted for prints with little hope of finding anything. The employees were worried that Frank Slopinski was dead inside the vault. He's the guy that was beat up pretty bad. He wasn't. They had beat him up pretty bad. At the hospital, Gus Deloy was treated by Dr. George Sen. The first step was an x-ray to reveal that the shrapnel that was behind his eye was actually a forty-five caliber bullet. Ooh. (laughs) Interestingly, the x-ray also picked up a few of 22 fragments that were missed the last time that he was in there for (laughs) surgery. So there were a couple pieces of buckshot that they had not caught the first time around. (laughs) Oh, my God. Calls started coming into the police department, establishing a timeline. At 11.16 a.m., a a wounded bandit was running through the alley on 3rd Street, then turned north on Maple. 11.20, a dark Nash automobile with Illinois plates was speeding north on 12th Street. 11.23, a caller saw the bandits in a maroon Studebaker. 11.25, 11.25, two cars were speeding north on maple, on maple. One was maroon and the other a dark blue. They picked up the wounded bandit. They've now they've got a description of two cars, and they've seen some of the men. The head cashier, E.J. Van Vonderen, arrived after the scene began to die down, and Detective Burke asked him to do an inventory to determine how much was missing. He was able to estimate that about $10,000 was missing. Later on, after the, he had done more thorough accounting, he found that the actual amount missing was $6,995.
0: So this one they got even, because wasn't the last one, the Kakana one we did, they got $20,000 and they were upset about yeah. it, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, this is this is less than the Kakana on. one. A group called the Brown County Vigilantes, Vigilantes <laughs> were, were out looking for the bandits, while the fire chief, was in an airplane with a machine gun looking down below for the bandits. A caller claimed to see wounded men in the woods on the west side of town near Taylor Street. Burke contacted the Wisconsin Bankers Association, and they considered putting their own investigators on the case. And I'll stop there again. Uh, this is this is kind of like a cool thing that I don't know if people know about. Um, the Wisconsin Bankers Association, as well as like the National Bankers Association, they had like their own private detective agency.
0: Oh, really? They'll go in and research like investigate these things and yeah. stuff?
1: Yeah, because here's like the thing. So the local police, they investigate these bank robberies. But what happens like once these bandits who are like traveling around the state or around the country, like once they leave Green Bay, what are the Green Bay detectives going to do about it? You know? Yeah, no, don't They're care. kinda they're kinda limited. Mm-hmm. And at this point, bank robbery is not a federal crime yet. So the FBI has no interest in this. Like, soon they will. Like, Mm -hmm. because of all the craziness in the 1930s, that's when the FBI starts getting involved. But at this moment, they're not. The banks actually developed their own nationwide detective service where they collected
0: photographs of known bank robbers so they could travel around and show people, like, this look like the guy? Kind of a neat thing that, And then I assume if they find one of these people, they just go to the local, whatever local police department is and Mm. and say, let's go pick them up or whatever. Uh, Well,
1: yeah. I mean, the the detectives, like, they would have no authority to actually arrest anybody, but they were, they didn't have the limitations that a police department had. had. You know, like they could travel freely. Yeah. They went around and they would, they'd have like these little flip books full of known suspects and, and identifying things about them and things like that. So it was just kind of a cool little thing they did to kind of fill in the gap between between local police and the lack of the federal police at this point.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Kind of neat. No, don't know if people knew that there was an actual bank <laughs> detective agency, but there was.
0: And it makes sense, I mean, that they would do that. Yeah. They were, they were fixing a problem that the government was ignoring, essentially.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Banking, like, was a really weird thing because also... This is, this is 1931, so, like, this is, like, just after, like, the Depression hits. I don't think at this point, like, the FDIC existed just, yet yeah. either, because that's another thing that came out of the Depression. It was, like, not only did bank robbery become a federal crime, but money being insured became, like, a thing.
0: When was this? that this happened when did fdic did you say i don't year? know no, oh you don't know off the top i
1: of? don't know exactly but it, but it was a, a response to the depression like after the banks collapsed okay that's when it came in and money being insured. gotcha a thing. that makes sense yeah, yeah so i don't know exactly what year that went into effect but just like at this point in time like it was a big deal for banks to track down and get their money back because there was no if the money was gone it was gone yeah. like there was nothing you could do about it if your money was in that bank
0: you were kind of screwed yeah that's crazy yeah and you think about how regulated banks are today and it like it sounds like back in this this era there was just really nothing yeah i mean no protections nothing for people it was just like i mean i would have been putting my money on a, under a pillow cuz I, I right
1: yeah I mean, if, if you had money in the bank and the bank got robbed, you're not necessarily, like, out that money. Like, the bank still owes you the money. But if it reaches the point where the bank goes under, well, then, then you're probably not getting, you're your, getting money. your money. back, yeah. 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 So, it's understandable why some people uh, did not trust banks. Yeah, it's, not, it's not even the bank's fault. It's understandable. <laughs> All right. The next day's Green Bay newspaper said that two men were arrested in connection with the bank robbery. But the report was a bit premature. Two young men were detained for being drunk and not having a good story to explain why they were in northeast Wisconsin when they were actually from St. Paul, Minnesota. Hmm. But it was very easily determined that these were the wrong men. They were much too young and just not the gangster type. But this,
0: this is the thing. Like <laughs> The gangster type, I like that.
1: Yeah. So, so two guys from St. Paul were in the Green Bay area drunk, and that was so suspicious. It's just that they, they're
0: like, you must be the bank robber. Yeah. yeah,
1: there's no, no reason the two guys from St. Paul would be drunk in Green Bay. <laughs> so the newspaper had to backtrack on that one. 7 o'clock that evening, the city had their regular city council meeting, presided over by Mayor John Deener, a Notre Dame law school graduate and World War veteran. <laughs> a proposal to fund four additional police officers came up, as well as modernizing the police radio system. And to be clear, this was already on the schedule prior to the bank robbery. This was not a response to the bank robbery. Five aldermen spoke out against this idea, saying the city just did not have the funds for such a thing. (laughs) This greatly upset Alderman Clement Dwyer, known as Dutch Dwyer, Dutch DeWire was a minor celebrity because he had previously played for the Green Bay Packers.
0: <laughs> did, did you mention him in the last part of this? I don't Two? think so. I feel like we talked about somebody that had was a Green Bay Packer at one point in time. I don't. Know. Everybody stole. was a Green, Green Bay, Bay Packer. Packer. Yeah, back then everybody in Green yeah. Bay played for the Packers. Yeah.
1: He went into a big speech, and he used the bank robbery as the very reason that the funds were necessary. Even if the city couldn't afford it, they should make the improvements (laughs) anyway. anyway. He was persuasive, and the measure passed. It was a big step forward for the Green Bay Police Department. Not just getting the four additional men, but actually getting cars that could connect by radio with each other. That's Mm -hmm. a pretty big deal. Like today, that seems so incredibly basic 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 and simple, but imagine that, like going out on patrol and not... Until until you go back to the station, having no idea what was going on anywhere else in town.
0: Yeah, that is so true.
1: Yeah. Gus Deloy was uh, sent to the Mayo Clinic, where he was treated by Dr. George Searing. An x-ray there showed that the forty-five bullet was lodged between his left eye and his skull. Removing the bullet was too risky. The eye would have to be removed. It was beyond saving. If the eye wasn't removed, the other eye could get, quote, sympathetic inflammation, and begin to deteriorate as well. I don't know anything about this, but apparently the idea was that if your one eye is, like, terribly injured, your other eye...
0: Just starts, adjusts
1: itself, too? Yeah, starts adjusting and goes bad because of it. I don't know if that's real, but that's that's what they thought would happen. Maybe it's real. I don't know. I, I don't know. That seems pretty bad. If you lose an eye, your other eye just starts going, but maybe... Yeah, that's crazy. The The surgery was a success. Reportedly, Deloitte recovered faster than expected, but he was an emotional wreck. Losing an eye, he thought, was going to change his life completely. His glass eye soon arrived, you know, but did not really not boost his spirits very much. Mm-hmm. It's not the same.
0: He returned to work. God, and he still continued on,
1: man. On September 1st, 1931, which is about a month and a half after this. That
0: guy is a trooper.
1: Yeah. However, the city argued that his eye meant that he wouldn't be able to do as much work as before or be as efficient, so they cut his pay by 25%. (laughs) Oh,
0: my God.
1: Yeah. He hired legal counsel and filed a complaint to the Wisconsin Industrial Commission. The legal paper cited Deloitte's impressive record and revealed an unusual fact. Since he had been hired on as a police officer on May 1st, 1916, he almost never took a day off. Not even Saturdays or Sundays. He worked all weekends. He never took vacations. He had one time worked every single day for a 10-month stretch without a day off <laughs> which i i get the point here is to show that like this guy is like the most loyal possible officer and then good but seriously people do not work 10 months straight without a day off <laughs> yeah okay no do not do that he, not surprisingly, wins his case uh, at the state, and they're like, "Yeah, dude, you can't cut his pay okay. <laughs> because he got injured on the job. <laughs> like you're gonna, you're gonna, I re- mean, you're gonna reward this guy for, for getting shot by cutting his pay." pay yeah, they, the state was definitely not okay with that.
0: It's really ballsy that Green Bay even tried to do that. Like, yeah. I mean, somebody must have looked at like and said. Hey guys, I don't think that's really fair. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I I get their argument because I clearly at this point he's gonna be doing more desk work Work. than anything else. Like I get it. Wow. Yeah, but at the same time, you really feel appreciated, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um but anyway, after this they they you know, they changed their mind. The, The state said, you know, you gotta pay him. And he ended up staying a cop.
0: Until he retired at age seventy, so um, God, I hope nothing else ever happened to him. I hope he was never in the vicinity of any crime, (laughs) like because it's just like he's he's dealt with enough in his life at this
1: point. So, Detective Gus Deloy, police officer for over forty years, (laughs) repeatedly shot at
0: and hit that's going strong till seven yeah I mean he's probably got more shrapnel has had more sh- shrapnel removed from his body than the entire rest of the Green Bay police Force combined it, in that period of time yeah I mean it seems that way it's sad
1: the only two suspects ever named with a possibility of being the right guys for the bank robbery were Francis Jimmy Keating and Thomas Holden who were later involved in a Menominee, Wisconsin robbery, where some of their gang were killed in a shootout. And I didn't, like, do a super serious, like, look into that, but I did a a little bit of a look. And like most of the bank robberies in this time period, very few people got caught, and we can never really know who did them, because if they don't get caught, we don't know. Mm Mm-hmm. But I will give credit in this case that these are decent suspects. In the Kakana case, people were like, oh, it was a John Dillinger thing. And we know, like, 100% it's not John Dillinger. Here, the Dillinger name got floated around because he was famous. Mm -hmm. So his name came up. But he was never seriously considered as a suspect. These two guys were also major bank robbers at the time. And they would have been possible they would have been not in jail they were actively robbing banks this time the fact that we know for a fact that they robbed a bank in menominee wisconsin tells us that they were in and out of wisconsin, wisconsin. robbing banks do i know they were the guys no i have no idea at least as far as like taking a guess goes this is a possible guess i'll give them credit for that that, that this was you didn't. You didn't pull out a name that was just not real. Like
0: this is possible. So now, maybe I asked this on the last bank robbery. We, bank robbery we did, mm-hmm. but um, do you, you've looked at some of these bank robberies? Do bank robberies typically in this era just not, never get solved? Because I I was kind of hoping a lot of that. Yeah, like it, like it. Just they didn't really have the infrastructure to really cap catch these people for the most part. Yeah, it's 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 weird
1: because I would say most of them either go unsolved or they're they know who did it, but they can't actually get the person. So John Dillinger, you know, most famous one, I mean dude robbed a dozen banks, twenty banks, maybe more. Mm-hmm. I don't know the exact number. And we know they did. When when he was the guy, you knew he was the guy because he'd walk in to the bank and everyone's like, "Oh, it's John Dillinger." Like, <laughs> like really obvious, really <laughs> obvious. But you know, most of the time he wasn't caught initially. Like, he he did a couple of stretches in jail. More often than not, you know, he was out there running around and not getting caught. So it seems pretty common to not get caught even if they know who it is. And then a lot of the times they have no idea who it is because there's people, they're, they're coming from all over the bank robbers. Wisconsin had their own bank robbers who did not go on to be famous for whatever reason. But then there's like the national guys who are famous and they're coming from Indiana, Illinois, some as far as like Oklahoma that helps in like not being identified and helps in not being caught. Because if you can get in and out of the state, you're you're golden.
0: Yeah. I, I would imagine at this point in time, I mean, if you can come to Wisconsin, rob a bank, and then get out of the state of Wisconsin, there ain't a whole lot they can do to you right. as far as catching you.
1: So, right. Yeah. Like, if you're so big that people like, can recognize you, then you might be in some trouble, at least down the line. But otherwise, you're pretty good. Nobody's taking pictures. Nobody's got a camera taking a picture in the bank. No security cameras. the best they can do is maybe get your license plate number, but even then, maybe you're in a stolen car. So many of these bank robberies in the thirties you'll see that they don't know who did them, and nobody ever gets caught
0: and and It's crazy to me so well, I guess this one was only like six thousand dollars. But the yeah. fact that somebody would think they would get twenty grand from a bank robbery mm-hmm. that blows my mind. That, yeah. that a bank would be carrying that kind of money. Yeah. But I guess when we, back then, we lived in a primary, probably a primarily a cash society. So, yeah. I mean, that money, that cash had to go somewhere, right? Well, yeah. I mean, people
1: didn't have credit cards and they didn't, nothing was online banking. Yeah, like, so... Like, if you were buying something, you either had to have cash or really good credit with that person who could trust you. Yeah,
0: so, I mean inevitably yeah it's going to be all cash and yeah, yeah it's going to i mean the banks would just be flooded with cash because they're going to have people coming in who need cash all day yeah and people that are trying to get cash off their table or whatever yeah on the We'll What's we'll
1: on? explore this more when this turns into the bank robbery podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it'll it'll I, I'm gonna
0: hold off on that at least for a few more episodes, but it'll it's gonna happen because because what, what do we have? Just a couple episodes left, non bank robbery, and then we just get into a whole bunch of bank robberies. Pretty well, I
1: I know I've got a Green Bay story yet. I know I've got a Waikiki story yet. I don't know what else I have prepped. When I run out of stories that are <laughs> that are like strictly Fox City stories, uh, then Fox City is gone. It's oh it's another it's a Sheboygan story too. Then then uh, Fox cities is gone and we'll we'll return to Fox City whenever possible. But at that point, I think we're gonna just gonna turn to the bank robbery <laughs> and
0: just start doing some random bank robbery. Yeah,
1: if, if if it's a bank robbery and it happened in the state of Wisconsin, no matter where in the state, I think it's gonna start coming up. I want to avoid that as long as possible because,
0: I mean, this is Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. We should at least part of that should be accurate. <laughs> well. You know, and the best way to make that happen is if somebody out there knows a story yeah. that we haven't covered on this podcast. We do ask that it be how old? I try to keep it fifty years or older. Fifty years or older, so nothing you know recent. But if you do have a story, send us send us an email at milwaukeemafia@gmail.com, at and Gavin will research it and see if he can make a story out of it.
1: Yeah, I'll, I make exceptions on on the age, but I try to keep it fifty just because of the people. Yeah. We who, just
0: we don't want to offend anybody or bring up yeah ancient memories that have been buried and are not good memories for people. So.
1: Yeah. We're trying to wrap this up, but I'm gonna throw something in now because you because you got that there. So I was in uh I was in Brookfield last week mm-hmm. and yeah that was a that was a thing that happened is you know i I did the presentation, told the stories um it was well received it was it was a good thing, but I did have somebody come up to me afterwards, and they weren't upset they they kind of were they they were not happy that in general and this they were not accusing me of this, but in general, how glamorized mob stories are <laughs> and she's like, two of these guys like were my uncles. She's like, I knew them. I knew they were not good guys, but it didn't make it any less painful when they died. Yeah, And so that's like, that's why I try to do this. Like, it's unavoidable. You're always going to have somebody, maybe not after a hundred years, but for a while, you're going to have somebody who has some connection to it and that's still going to have some emotional response. It's unavoidable. Right. But I try to avoid that for that very reason. Because, yeah, to, to this person, even though their uncle there was two uncles, but one of them was was murdered. Their uncle had died, you know, fifty plus years ago. They still remembered it. Mm-hmm. It was it wasn't like something like, "Ooh, did you hear this story?" To them, it was like a really emotional, raw <laughs> yeah. thing. Uh, so I'm you know I'm aware of that, and I and I try to keep it.
0: And I think that, for that reason, yeah, and I think that's the responsible thing to do. Yeah. You know, in in fifty years is a good number because yeah, there's probably still people around that may be affected by that, but it's going to be minimized big time. Whereas, it's going to be
1: minimized, yeah. Like it's, there's still going to be people, but I'd like to think that it's not, it's not so recent that it's. A huge,
0: yeah, like a emotional toll to on them, and yeah, and it's just there's going to be the number of people are still going to be much less too, right? If you did a murder that was ten years ago, that's going to be f- fresh on a lot of people's yeah. minds. Because, oh yeah, I wouldn't, you know. I wouldn't
1: do it. I wouldn't do it, and like, and like, and we've we've talked about this before, like specifically. I'm not going to use a name. There, that was a person we graduated with. Yep, and and I said like. We will never, yeah. never do that because there's just too many people who that just destroyed them. Mm-hmm. I mean, may, maybe if we hit the 50-year mark on that, definitely, like, even though that didn't, like, affect me emotionally, like, I could see it. The community was crushed. Yeah. I, yeah, I avoid anything, like, and that's over 20 years now. Like, I avoid this stuff. Yeah. Because it's.
0: And it's funny because I happen to know the person you're talking about, and I still like. I remember the day it happened. I can remember where I was, yeah, when it happened, right, and everything. So,
1: yeah, the whole point of this was like, yes, please send in story ideas. Be them, be, be aware that if it's too recent, probably won't do it.
0: I I would say we definitely won't do it yeah. for that. But anyways, well, we've gone on long enough. I think on this one, yeah. So. We can wrap this episode up, but again, if you do have story ideas, milwaukeemafia.gmail.com is the right place to connect for that, yeah. and we will be back next week. You said definitely probably a new one next week, and then...
1: Well, two weeks, right?
0: Or, well, yeah, two weeks. I'm sorry. Okay. But yeah, two weeks, you'll definitely have a new one, so we'll should, continue should, with yes. the new ones for a little while yet. You may catch a rerun dabbled in at some point. So. Yeah. So, but anyways, we thank everybody for the continued support and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for tuning in to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. Join us in two weeks for another exciting episode of Murder and Mayhem.